Hey, I would love for you to join us in one of our three Christmas Eve services on December the 24th at the Orchard Church. We have two regular services at four and six and a higher risk service at 2 p.m. that day. All the details are available at fourgilmer.com. That's F-O-R-G-I-L-M-E-R, fourgilmer.com. You can find out all about it and reserve your seat there for one of our two regular services or our higher risk service at 2 p.m. We've all had to miss out on so many things this year, but don't miss out on celebrating Christmas. Join us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and worship Him together. Merry Christmas. Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Today, in the craziest of all crazy times, Christmas season of 2020. We've been through so much and it's been chaotic and nuts. And so many of us are living in doubt and fear and it's causing us to make bad decisions in our lives. And we don't even know it's happening to us. So how can you know when you're making bad fear-based decisions and how can you learn to trust in him and to see him and to make wise decisions that will change your life? We are in the midst of the crazy. It's the crazy of all the crazy, right? I mean, we're in the holiday season, the schedule is busy. I, I don't know how it works for you, but I feel like I'm running this way, then I'm running that way, then I'm doing this, and I gotta be there, and uh, there's always too much to be doing. Plus, on top of that, you throw in the crazy of what's going on all across our nation right now with the unrest and the uncertainty, and then you throw COVID on top of that, uh, which has exploded in our community. I know that you know this week, it's just really, this month it's really gone crazy here and we've got several people that normally would be here right now that are out with it today uh, and my wife was just telling us this morning at the high school uh, at the end of November they had a handful of students quarantined for the COVID and now they've got 130 some odd kids quarantined and a bunch of their leaders too, teachers and stuff so it's crazy. It's crazy, and we don't know what to do. You know, it just seems like we don't even know how to deal with stuff. It, it, you don't always know what the right course is. So in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the crazy chaos, how do you know? How do you know what decisions to make? How do you know what course of action? Where do you get your guidance from? You know, I know we're pretty isolated here in LJ. It's not always the COVID. It's not always the national unrest. But we all go through it from time to time. How do you deal with it when you have the infidelity in your marriage how do you deal with it when you have the conflict at work or the finances that never seem the problems there never seem to go away how do you deal with it when those bad guys are seemingly always out to get you in your life how do you deal when you get that terrible diagnosis in your life oh you've prayed about it you've prayed about it but you don't seem to get an answer. I know, I know how it goes because I talk to you guys all the time. 
I've told you several times, it seems to be the number two prayer request that we get. I just need guidance from God, don't know what to do next. Well, how do we deal with this situation? We feel like we've prayed about it, but God's not answering. It seems like he's just not speaking. He's not moving. He's not acting on our behalf. And so we just need to know what to do. How do you know? How do you know what to do, what action to take? Ahaz was the king of Judah. They had a lot of turmoil in Israel, and they had a north-south division. They had the northern kingdom, which retained the name Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And Ahaz was the king of Judah. And he wasn't sure what to do. He had a series of circumstances that happened that just really threw him into confusion. The Assyrians were in the process of taking over the entire known world. Egypt had been the world power, but now they were weak and the Assyrians were taking over everything. They had conquered all of the nations of the world just about. Um, and then the ones that hadn't been conquered were totally destabilized, trying to figure out what to do. And Judah was one of those. So he didn't know what to do. And so Ahaz had to make some choices. First of all, he chose to go to war with his immediate neighbors, Israel and Syria. He chose to fight against them, and that choice was a terrible choice. It was devastating. They lost 120,000 soldiers, and they lost 200,000 women and children who were either killed or... So it was a terrible, devastating choice that he made he didn't know what to do next his situation was really bad now really really bad he made the wrong choice and suffered for it so he wasn't sure what to do he was living in fear he didn't know how to deal next with Israel and with Syria so he went to his office and got on his computer and fired off an email to the baddest dude history had ever known to that point still regarded as one of the baddest dudes ever in world history. He sent off a, a letter to the king of Assyria who was taking over the world. This king's name is Tiglat-Pileser. Tiglat-Pileser. And he's a bad dude. Look at him. Look at this picture of him right here. He is a tough dude. He's got that John Crawford beard going. <laughs> and he's wearing an earring. And he's got the very first edition Apple Watch on his wrist. And uh, he was a bad dude, known to be a tough guy. Look at this relief of uh, him conducting one of his campaigns. This is him right here. And you see him conquering one of the city-states that they would have conquered. You see his soldiers climbing the ladder over the city wall. And uh, these people here don't know what to do. And you can see a lot of his enemies already impaled upon posts up here. And you can see the fighting and the death all going on. You see several decapitated people down here as uh, one of the Assyrian soldiers is in the process of cutting the head off of another guy. He literally conquered the whole world and he did it all barefoot. He was a bad dude. He was a bad dude. And Ahaz shoots him an email and says, listen, I've just been through some devastating battles here in my town and I need your help. Would you please come and help me defeat my enemies? And so Tiglot-Pileser 
By the way, some people pronounce it Palaser, some people pronounce it Palaser. I like Palaser, it's kind of Star Wars. Sound of pew, pew, Palaser, pew. So Tiglot Palaser, he comes in and he says, okay, uh, I'll help. And he immediately surges into their region and uh, he decimates Syria and he decimates Israel. Ahaz is ecstatic. Yay! He defeated my enemies for me. And before he could even say thank you, Ahaz turns, sorry, Tiglot Pileser turns to Ahaz and says, Now, the same thing will befall you if you don't pay me off. Uh oh. And Ahaz has to literally send all of his nation's fortunes, treasures, to that king, he even has to strip all of the land to buy him off. And their land is now in poverty, and Judah becomes a satellite nation of Assyria, and Ahaz turns into a puppet king. So Ahaz makes bad decision after bad decision. And then, of course, he's angry at God. Because Judah is part of the nation of Israel. Judah is where, you know, Jerusalem is. And so they should have been protected by God, but they weren't. He had wanted to get guidance from God, but God didn't speak. God didn't show up. And now look at where they are. So Ahaz goes, goes into the temple and he strips it of all of its remaining everything. He has everything from the temple, all the artifacts of the temple destroyed. And he begins to offer all of the temple artifacts in sacrifice to the Baal gods. And he adopts the Baal worship for himself because God let him down. The one true God let him down, so he's going to worship whoever he's got to worship. And part of Baal worship is sacrificing children. And Ahaz even goes so far as to sacrifice his own sons on the altar of Baal. Where do you get your guidance from? How do you make decisions? When times are chaotic and crazy and it seems like everything is spiraling out of control and you can't hear from God, how do you make your decisions? I am certain that Ahaz thought all of these decisions were the right decision before he made them. They all seem like common sense good decisions ahead of time, but he made the wrong decision. How do you make the right decision? Isaiah, the prophet, was active during this time, and he has a message for Ahaz, and I think for us in being able to make the right decision. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to look in Isaiah chapter 8, and we're just going to let, we're going to let Isaiah speak for himself. Normally, I'll come up with you know, little talking points that you fill in the blanks and write down, but I'm just going to let Isaiah's words be our talking points this morning. How about that? Is that okay? So here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 8, 11. He says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. So the number one thing Isaiah says, first thing is don't think like they think. First blank on your page, don't think like they think. Now Ahaz had been thinking worldly even before all this had been going on, but he was motivated to make bad decisions because of the scary everything going on, because of all of the unrest and destabilization and the fear that was happening. 
Isaiah goes on in verse 12 and he says, don't call, don't think like they think. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Ahaz had seen firsthand what Tiglath-Pileser could do, and it was awful. It may have very nearly destroyed his entire country. He had seen firsthand the blood and the gore. He had seen the pain and the agony of his people. He had lost people himself. He lost his status. He lost his power. He lost his integrity, and he lost his credibility, and he was afraid. And I'm sure all the people of Judah were living in fear. I mean, think about it. The, the Assyrian army had come and swooped through their nation right after the nation of Israel and Syria had demolished them. So I'm sure all the people of Judah were now trembling in fear, trembling at what the Syrian army, what the uh, Israeli army, and now what the Assyrian army might do to them. Are they going to come back? Have we paid them enough? Are, are they going to come back? Are they going to kill my family next? Are they going to take my children next? Are they going to burn my town next? I mean, I'm sure these were the terrifying thoughts of the people of Judah, and I'm sure they lived in fear and trembling. That's why Isaiah says, don't think like they do. Don't be scared of what they're scared of. What does it mean to live in fear, to live in trembling? I kind of had a vision of it myself a little bit because we have a little dog that has to go to the vet every now and then. And whenever we take her to the vet, she sits in the car trembling. She knows when she's at the vet. And so we sit there in the parking lot waiting because, you know, you have to call and then they, 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 let, they come out and get the dog, you know, and everything when it's time. And she just sits there just shaking, just trembling and whimpering, right? Because she knows what's about to happen. She knows that she's about to go in the vet. And so she's just trembling in fear. Yeah, isn't that, don't, you look at that, it's pathetic, isn't it? It's pathetic to be living in trembling fear. But that happens to us so much, doesn't it? We live in fear and we react in fear to things around us. And you don't even always know when it's happening to you. I mean, I had a meeting just this week with some people in my office, and we were talking about an upcoming event that we were planning. Diane, you were in there, and we were talking about this thing that we're going to do. And one of the people, I mean, everybody's around. Everybody's excited. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. It's going to be great. We were very excited about it. But one person in the meeting just had every neg negative thing to say about everything. One person in that meeting was just all about why this wasn't going to work. Well, what if the people don't show up? Oh, well, I don't think they're going to participate in that activity. Well, I don't know if I'm going to have time to prepare that. I mean, just everything out of this person's mouth was a negative statement. Am I right, Diane? Just negative after negative after negative. That's what living in fear looks like. That's what thinking the way they think looks like. Isaiah says, don't think the way they think. When you think the way they think, when you allow fear to speak in your life, what you're doing is you're putting that thing that you fear over you. You know, maybe it's not the vet, and, and maybe it's not an event that's coming up, but maybe it's the rejection that you've experienced. You know, maybe it's the job loss or the failure that you've had in the past. Maybe it's the physical problems Maybe it's the COVID. 
you know I don't know what it might be but when you think like they think when you put that thing as the first thing the thing that makes you tremble it completely changes your thought patterns we call that oppression when you're an oppressed person you are debilitated from being the person that God has called you to be. Like Ahaz, you ask all the wrong questions and you come up with all the wrong answers. You build the wrong alliances with all the wrong people to protect you and to keep you safe. In fact, that's what happens when you live in fear, when you think like they think, you become preoccupied with protecting what you have. It becomes all about self-protection and your question becomes, what's the safe thing to do? What's the safest way to proceed? You act to protect yourself. And when you ask the wrong question, what's the safe thing to do? When you make your decisions based on fearing the wrong things, that's when you really make disastrous decisions. You hear me? Are you hearing me? That's why Christian women marry unchristian men. And they build lives of this hybrid schizophrenia spiritually. And then they sit in my office 10 years later crying because their life is a disaster. And they've got to get away from him because he promised he'd be in church. He promised he would act like a Christian. But now there's kids involved, there's car payments involved, there's a mortgage involved. And everything seems to be a disaster. That's why high school students sell themselves out to gain a little more popularity. It's because they're fearing the wrong thing and asking the wrong questions. They're self-preserving. That's why Christian people don't give their money to the mission of God, but instead make sure they contribute to Netflix and Verizon and Best Buy and everything else they can think of to make themselves comfortable that's why you never experience the full power of who the holy spirit is trying to turn you into it's because you're holding back and you're asking the what is the safest thing to do question am i hurting your feelings yet i'll interpret the silence in the room to mean yes Isaiah says you cannot think like they think. Do not think like they think. Paul, the apostle, writes to us in Romans 12, and he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Don't think like they think, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect that's the thing you're looking for you're looking for God's perfect will so let him change the way you think let him realign your thoughts from what can I do for myself into who am I designed to be for him man so how do we do that? How do we get involved in that? How do we engage in that? Well, Isaiah tells us in the very next sentence, verse 13 of Isaiah 8, he says this. He says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. Now, 
I just want to make sure we understand this. Let's just be honest. You don't make God holy. Am I right? Because God is holy. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. That's who he's always gonna be. He's holy. Exodus 15 says, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. God is holy. That is his character, his nature. Holy means to be set apart or to be cut off. Okay, so it doesn't just mean, you know, a little better. It doesn't just mean, you know, first on the list. It means to be separated out and cut off. It means far and away, much, much, much better, much more to be desired. Not just first, but supreme, ultimate, the one thing that stands far and above everything else. He is holy, and the problem is you are not Come on, can I get an amen on that? <laughs> you and I are not. He's different from us. He's set apart from us. He's perfect. He's holy, and we are not. He's sovereign. He's above everything. And you and I come under a long chain of local and regional, state, and federal authorities, don't we? But he's above it all. He's above it all. And Isaiah tells us, it's the next blank, to make God holy in your life make God holy in your life what that means is you've trembled at what the Assyrian king might do to you you know you've trembled you've lived in fear at what the baddest king of this world has to offer legitimately so he's a bad dude conquered the world barefoot he's a bad dude and you've trembled in fear to him but let's look at what the rest of this verse says Isaiah 13 and 14 8 13 and 14 he says make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life he is the one you should fear he is the one who should make you tremble in other words you've seen what King Tiglot can do Tiglet Tiglet is what I'm going to call him from now on sounds like Piglet you know little piglet on Winnie the Pooh sounds like a combination of it's, if Tigger and Piglet got together they would have a little Tiglet <laughs> now listen King Tiglet is a bad dude he literally conquered the world and I guess he did it barefoot he's a bad dude but compared to the king of heaven's armies he's just a little Tiglet come on He's nothing compared to that one. And he says, God, the king of heaven's armies is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. I know, I know it's Christmas season and we tend to view, we tend to view Jesus as the little baby, you know, in the manger. Probably needs a diaper change. Or we tend to view him as the peasant carpenter roaming around also barefoot in a bathrobe and flip-flops or or we visualize him hanging bloodied and beaten on the cross i know i know that's the way we tend to visualize him i do too but you know that's not who he is i mean he came and wrapped himself in flesh and for 33 years he did live that way but that's not who he is 
John, the revelator, was able to receive a glimpse of who he really is. And he wrote it down for us in Revelation 1. This is who Jesus is. He says, I turned to see who was speaking to me, and I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands, the lampstands represent the church, but they're golden lampstands. They're eternal. They're symbols of power and riches and glory. And standing among the power, riches, and glory was someone like the Son of Man. Who is that? Come on, who is that? So he's standing there, and he's adorned around him with power and riches and glory, standing in the middle of the lampstands, and he's wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head, look at this, his head and his hair were like wool, white like wool, as white as snow. So there's hope for you, John Crawford. Where did you go, John? Are you in the room? He left. There's hope for you, old geezers with the white hair. And his eyes, look at this, his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars. You know, I can't hold one star. I can't even lick my fingers and do the candle thing. It's, you know, put the candle out. He holds seven stars in his hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was like the sun in its brilliance. He sees this glorious, supreme vision of who Jesus is, high and above everything else. He is not like Tiglet. He is not like the COVID. He's not like the president or the cabinet or the Congress or the Senate. He is holy and he is powerful far and above everyone and everything else. And Isaiah had the appropriate response in the presence of Jesus. What's the next thing he said? He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. When I saw how holy he was, you better believe I trembled. You better believe I, I, I made sure that I feared the right one. There's a lot of things to fear in this world, but all of them are tiglets compared to him. John recognized that. Isaiah recognized that. In Isaiah 53, he says it was the year King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord in the temple. He describes him there too, and then he talks about falling to his face and saying, woe is me, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people who are unclean. You better believe he trembled. He saw who he should have been afraid of, and everything else just vanished. Scripture tells us that everything trembles in the presence of God. Psalm 114.7, show that one, says the earth trembles. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Job tells us that heaven trembles. Job 26, the foundation of heaven trembles. They shudder at his rebuke. Job also tells us that the dead tremble. Right, The dead tremble, those who live beneath the waters. The underworld is naked in God's presence. The place of destruction is uncovered. James tells us that the demons 
tremble. You say you have one faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. And Psalm 1-7 says that we should probably fear the Lord too because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fear of the Lord is the threshold of coming to know him, stepping into his presence and catching a glimpse of him and realizing who he is. That's the beginning of knowing him, understanding who the real king is. It ain't Tiglet. It's God. We fear all kinds of other things. We feel all kinds of we fear all kinds of tiglets, don't we? The politicians of the world. We fear the economic systems of the world, socialism encroaching more and more. We fear ridicule. We fear embarrassment. We fear losing some of our stuff. We fear the COVID. We fear missing out on something everybody else gets to be part of. We even, for some reason, fear offending others with the gospel. We fear a lot of things, and it changes our behavior. Why don't we fear him? Why don't we fear him? I mean, we like his you know, stories. We like the, the stories that Jesus tells Right, we like it when he talks about farmers and little old ladies and losing coins and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we like to pray to him. We like to pray and ask for good weather and make this food taste good and give us traveling mercies, you know. We, we like praying to him, and, and we really like his tricks, right? We like it when he turns water into wine or feeds crowds with crumbs. We like it when he walks on water or heals people. You know, we like his tricks, but when he opens his mouth and starts giving us direction, that's when we go, mm, no, thank you. Come on, what's the first thing he tells us? If, if anyone wants to be my follower, so he says this in Matthew, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself or give up his own way and take up his cross and follow me. Well, we don't like that guidance. We like the tricks and we like the pretty little prayers but we're not, we don't really want to take his guidance in that way because that sounds risky. That sounds dangerous. That sounds like I might have to, you know, lose something. And we hear his guidance, we hear his direction, and we want to make our own decisions. We want to play it safe. We ask the question, what's the safe thing to do? But I promise you, your master hates playing it safe the servant with one talent played it safe what's the safest thing I can do to just not lose the little bit that God gave me he gave them so much more he just gave me a little bit what's the, what's the least I can do the safest thing I can do just to not lose it so he goes and he buries it right he buries it he hides it till the master comes back other servants come and they've doubled, tripled, you know, their investment, the master's investment into them. And he comes to the servant with the one talent and the servant says, see, look, I didn't lose it. I buried it. Jesus' response is not good. Matthew 25, 30, he says, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
There is no room for playing it safe in the kingdom of God. You don't cower to the kings of this world. You serve the king of heaven's armies. Thank you. So back to Isaiah uh, verse 13 and 14 of chapter 8. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. And I just leave this right here for just a minute, Joyce. Just leave it up and we'll go to that next slide in just a second. He's the one who should make you tremble. Of course he should make you tremble. Who do you think you are? I mean, John, the apostle, fell trembling at his feet. Isaiah, the prophet, fell trembling at his feet. You, well, you're his creation, lovingly designed in his image to reflect his glory, to point to him. You exist to glorify him. But you and I decided we wanted to glorify ourselves. Instead of glorifying him, we wanted to hog it all for us. Instead of pointing to him, instead of aligning our lives with him, we wanted it for us. We wanted to play it safe. Hoard it all, protect ourselves. You going against your God-given purpose in this life is the very definition of sin. And you and I have all sinned against God and this infuriates him. And he will not, he will not let your sin, your crime, go unpunished. He is the one who should make you tremble. But look at the very next thing Isaiah says, the very next sentence, he will keep you safe. He will keep you safe. A.W. Tozer has this amazing statement that he makes. I wish I had it on the screen, but I don't. He says this, listen. He says, we take refuge from God in God. We take refuge from God in God. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in his son while he disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers of his holiness. In other words, what he's saying is this is the gospel that we deserve to be killed on sight in God's presence because we are sinners. But he sent Jesus to be killed on the cross for my sins. And Jesus paid the price, paid in full, dying for me and for you. And when we come into him, when we step into his life, the life that he now lives in glory with white lasers and swords, we get to experience his life. And when we're in him, he sees us hidden in him and we will be safe. We will rise above the kings, the tiglets of this world. And we will no longer have to fear those things because now he's risen us up and he will keep us safe. Psalm 128 says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. 
Psalm 27 says, He will conceal me when the troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. And then I will hold my head high above the tiglets of this world who surround me. And at his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. He raises my eyes up. He sets my horizon. He elevates my thinking. I no longer think like they think, think in in patterns of fear and self-protection. And now he causes me to ask much better questions and to rely on his much better strength. When he's holy in my life, I no longer ask what's the safe thing to do. Now I'm free to ask what's the right thing to do. Come on, now I can ask what's the right thing to do and I can be on his plan. Okay, so there's still several other blanks I know and I'm running out of time. Really quickly, how do we get there? Really quickly, I'm gonna blow through these fast. Isaiah tells us in verse 16 of chapter eight, he says, first, preserve the teaching of God. Preserve the teaching of God. That's the next blank on your page. Preserve the teaching of God. Hey, 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 preserve it. So Jesus talks about the sower who goes around casting the seed. I feel like that sometimes. I feel like I'm casting seed out here and I feel like it's just bouncing off of you guys. And I feel like you get up. I feel like you walk out. None of it sticks. And you don't touch it. And it doesn't touch you until the next Sunday when the sower's here throwing seeds again. Maybe you get one stuck in your clothes somewhere. Isaiah says, preserve the teaching of God. Are you cultivating it in your life? Are you cultivating the word of God in your life? Are you spending time alone with him? Are you in his word? I mean, the Bible app is great for this. The Bible app has a lot of reading plans. Some of them take five minutes a day. Some of the plans are three days long, some are seven days long, some are a month long, depends on what you want. There's a million different resources in the Bible app for you to find to help guide you in this. Preserve the word of God in your life. Next year, excuse me, in 2021, we're ramping up. Susan and I were talking about this week. We're gonna ramp up the word of God in our lives. And we're gonna provide a lot of non-Sunday morning opportunities for you to dig deep into God's word. I'm convicted I know way too many people who have been stolen away from the gospel by a false teacher. I don't have my keys, but a false teacher jangling shiny things at them. I'm tired of it, are you? I'm tired of people being taken away from the gospel instead of getting the shiny things. I mean, I mean, preachers who are holding up things that even a basic understanding of what the word of God would refute but they just fall for the shiny things. I don't want that for you. I want you to preserve the word of God in your life. Next thing Isaiah says, uh, Isaiah 8, 16, he says, entrust the instructions, entrust God's instructions to those who follow me. So he's saying, I will preserve the word of God and I will entrust his instructions to those who follow me. So the next thing, next blank is lead others, lead others. In other words, you and I should each be cultivating God's word in our lives and we should be bringing other people along with us what are you doing sitting there soaking it in all the time faith that sits and soaks just sours that's all it can do 
It's got to be flowing in you. You got to be leading others deeper and deeper in their walk too. I'm not asking you to be a life group leader or a Bible study leader, but dude, you could serve on a team. You know, you could invite other people in with you. You could, be, you could be inviting people in your neighborhood that you talk to. You're nice to them in your neighborhood. Why don't you invite them in to what's going on here and what God's doing? Invite them in. You don't have to, you don't have to preach at them, but you can sure lead others. Okay, I got to move on. Next thing he says is in verse 17. He says, I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. And I will put my hope in him. The next thing Isaiah tells us is to wait. Next blank, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Isaiah knew that God was going to fulfill his promise of sending the deliverer, the Messiah, to his people. Isaiah knew that, but Isaiah did not live to see it. But he said, I will wait. I will wait on the Lord. If you're going to be a God follower instead of a world follower, you might just have to wait. If you're going to fear the Lord instead of fearing the tiglets, you might just have to wait. God is never in a rush, and he's never in a hurry. He never gets behind on a deadline, and he will never let you slip through the cracks. His timing is always perfect. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, he says, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. He is the mes- this is the message that God gave to the world at just the right time. So Isaiah, you had to wait and you died waiting. But at just the right time, God sent the deliverer into the world. I know it seems scary. I know it seems hard. And I know sometimes it feels like you're praying, you're praying, you're not getting the word from God. And what are you waiting on, God? What are you waiting on, Christmas? You know, what are you waiting on? And it seems like God's not showing up and he's not doing what you expect him to do. But I just want to ask you a question. What demonstrates more patience, you waiting on God or God waiting on you? Come on. I mean, we may have to wait on God from time to time, but let's just be honest. How many times have I made God wait on me? How many times have I said, "Mm, not for me right now. No, I'm not going to go there right now. Oh, I'm not going to open my mouth about that right now. Oh, I'm not going to take that step of faith right now. No, I'm going to hog my money to myself. No, I'm going to protect what's the safe thing to do. How many times has God been eager to reveal himself through a simple act of faith in me that I won't make. And he has to wait and wait and wait on me. Second Peter, Peter the apostle says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. What this means is I may have to wait and there may be a lot of scary things, but listen, the last blank on your page, one of my favorite sayings, God's plan is always better than my plan. God's plan may take longer, may seem slower, may not be on my time schedule, but God's plan is always better than my plan. 